We've been doing this series called the book of Hebrews. We've been going chapter by chapter. And you know, here's, here's the amazing thing about the, um, the, the Word of God. See, this, this is maybe your first time here this morning. Maybe you think, oh no, you know, because today we're going to be looking at chapter 7. You think, oh my goodness, I've just walked in and they're in the middle of a series. But you know, let me tell you something. The Word of God is better than Netflix. The Word of God is better than Amazon Prime. The Word of God is even better than Disney+. Plus. That's right. Because let me tell you something. You know, you don't have to go to, you know, I've got to start on episode one, series one, in order to understand what's going on. With the Word of God, you can open up. Wherever you open up the Word of God, God wants to deposit something into your spirit. So as we get into chapter seven today, you know, you, you, you're not going to miss a beat because God wants to deposit something in your spirit this morning. Amen? You know, as I, was, as I was pondering and looking over chapter 7, it got me thinking about, but, but, but us as people, you know what's really interesting about us as people? That we all want to be friended. We all want to be followed, liked, and mentioned, right? We, you, know, we, you, know, quite, you know, maybe it's not you in this room, but I know many people, sometimes we grab our phones and we want to see any notifications. Was I mentioned today? Oh, I was mentioned. Why was I mentioned? Oh, this is, this is exciting. I've been mentioned. I've got a notification. I've been mentioned. Or if you posted something, you want to see, I wonder how many likes I got. I wonder how many follows I got. Right? And there's and this thing that's in, inside us because we all want people to envy us. Right? We don't want people to pity us. We want people to envy us. Right? See, the truth is, we all live for the applause. We can't help but to live a life of performance. I mean, where does it, I mean, where does this all start? It all started when we were kids, right? Daddy, watch me. Daddy, watch this. You know, I've got grandkids, and you're looking at me and go, and go what, you got grandkids? You're too, too young to have grandkids. And I say, yeah, that's exactly what I said to my son. But anyway, that's another story. And so, and, and so my grandkids, they go, Papa, Papa, watch this. Papa, watch me. Papa, watch this. Constantly. Constantly watch him, watch him do the same thing over and over again. My, my grandson loves the dominoes. He'll be doing dominoes, dominoes, and he sets it up. Papa, watch this. Papa, watch this. And, he, and, and I constantly just keeps putting on dominoes. I'm thinking, you know, that's exactly what I saw, you know, the last 10,000 times you showed me. Okay? Because why? Because we all want to be seen and we all want to be affirmed. Isn't that true? We all want to be affirmed. And for most of us, we didn't get our approval bucket filled by the people who were close to us. For many of us, that was our fathers. Here's the thing. As we grow up, we look for approval. Approval from our coaches. Approval from our peers. Approval from our bosses. Approval from our spouses. And even sometimes approval from our children. We look for the approval because we all live for the applause from somebody. Right? But here's the thing, the reality is there's only so much that we can do. But our can-do always seems to be not good enough. And what's really interesting, you know what's really interesting? This whole thing of this performance base and trying to get the applause of everyone, try to, try to prove ourselves to, to one another. We kind of translate this performance-based mentality with our relationship with God. What's really interesting, it's, it's almost like we're, we're, kind of, we're kind of hardwired this way. But you need to understand something. God longs to have a relationship with you. But this is what we do. We base our relationship on performance. 
that if we're good enough, that God would love us more. But the reality is, is that Jesus is the embodiment of love. He is love, meaning he already loves you. Maybe you've heard that you're not good enough. Maybe you've heard that you'll never accomplish anything. The good thing about our God is that he sent Jesus to be our good enough. Did you know that? He sent Jesus to be our good enough because the reality is that I'm not good enough. You're not good enough. So good enough himself came to extend his nail-pierced hand to say, I am your good enough. And the book of Hebrews wants us to understand that spiritual maturity starts with knowing who Jesus is and knowing what he has done for us. That is spiritual maturity. Often we think maturity, um, spiritual maturity is like, okay, I've met Jesus, so now I've got to try harder. No, that's not spiritual maturity. The good news is, this is the good news by God's grace is that Jesus has done the work so that we can receive his work. The book of Hebrews explores this reality of the old covenant. When you, begin, when you read the, old, the book of Hebrews, it's, it's full of, 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 this, of the covenant, the Levitical priesthood, and, and these rituals and all these things, it, and, and it begins to regurgitate um, the Levitical laws and Deuteronomy and the first five books of the, of the Bible. And it begins to, to, to explore the reality of this, that God desire, this is what God's desire is to dwell with his people. So God's presence, so when Moses leads the children of Israel out of slavery, God's presence takes up residence in the tabernacle and then the temple. But it was sin that contaminates. Did you know that? It is sin that contaminates us. It's sin that contaminates us and thus separate us from the presence of of God. So God gives Moses instructions on how to deal with this contamination of sin. So the priests were the only ones who could enter the temple as our representatives. And they would offer up animal sacrifices to decontaminate us. This was the point of the sacrificial system in the temple. It's for decontamination, to decontaminate someone, a person of their sin, so they can draw near to God. Because God dwelt in the temple, in the Holy of Holies. And as a, as, as, a, as a person will begin to draw near to God, they were contaminated with sin. So the sacrifice of an animal was there to decontaminate them so they can draw near to God and draw near to His presence. What's really interesting is that once a year on the Day of Atonement, known as Yom Kippur, right, in Hebrew, Yom Kippur, it's really interesting, the word uh, Kippur literally means to cover over. To cover over. So on the day of, of, of atonement, the high priest, not just any priest, but the high priest, the high priest will enter the most holy room in the temple, the holy of holies, where the presence of God dwelt, and he will sprinkle the blood of an animal as a substitute for all the people of Israel. Why blood? Why would he sprinkle blood? Because blood represents life. It represents life. And it decontaminates. It washes away sin that leads to destruction. Sin that leads to death. 
where sin represents death, blood represents life. And there's this blood that decontaminates. It washes away and it sets people free. Isn't it good to know that Jesus is our eternal day of atonement? That he is our eternal day of atonement. And that's where, the, where Hebrews chapter 7 is taking us. It's taking us on this picture. So if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 7, verse 1. And it says this. This Melchizedek was king of Salem and priest of, of God Most High. And so the writer begins to retell the story in the book of Genesis about this, this figure, this Melchizedek figure that we encounter in Genesis. This Melchizedek was the king of Salem and priest of God Most High. He met Abraham returning from the defeat of kings and blessed them. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. First, the name Melchizedek means king of righteousness. So the writer just wants us to know, well, did you know that Melchizedek means righteousness? So therefore, he's king of righteousness. And he was also king of Salem. Did you know that? And did you know that Salem means peace? So therefore, he's not only king of righteousness, he is king of peace. He just kind of throws this in there for us. I don't know if you noticed, I don't know if you saw what he did there. He just throws it in there. And then go to verse 3. Without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life, resembling the Son of God, he remains a priest forever. Right. Did you notice Melchizedek in Genesis? I don't know if you read that. If you, if you went to the temple, you went to the, to the temple and you, and you heard the stories and heard the scroll, being, the Genesis scroll being read out about Melchizedek. And I don't know if you, uh, if, if you, if you, if you caught the, the nuances of this. And this is the writer, what he's saying to his, to, to his, his audience who were, who were Hebrew Christians. Right? And he said, did, you, did, you, did you catch the nuances of, of what, who this guy is? In fact, his priesthood doesn't end. It doesn't say that he died. So therefore, it's, it's ongoing. Because there was a clear division. When we read the Bible, there was a clear division. Priest, if you were a priest, you were from the line of Levi, the tribe of Levi. Right? So in order for you to be a priest... You have to be from the tribe of Levi. So, so like, you can't rock up in here and try to be a priest. Wait, are you from the tribe of Levi? Well, sorry, mate. So, so you, 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 can't, you can't help out in this area. And to be a high priest, not only did you have to come from the tribe of Levi, but you have to come from the family of Aaron, who was the first high priest. Aaron, who was the brother of Moses. So to be a high priest, you, not only the, 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 from the tribe of, of Levi, but from the line of Aaron. So where do kings come from? Kings come from the tribe of Judah. Right? So priest, a priest comes from the, the tribe of Levi. Kings come from the tribe of Judah. So how can, a, how can a king be a priest as well? How can a king be a priest as well? As well? And that is why the writer of Hebrew brings up Melchizedek. Brings up Melchizedek who was both a king and high priest at the same time. And when the writer says without genealogy, he's not saying, oh, well, you know, this Melchizedek must be some divine being. He's not saying that at all. That's not, not what, what, what he said. What, what he means by that is that Melchizedek is a high priest because he was approved by God. His priesthood was approved by God, and it does not depend on genealogy. This priesthood is different. It's approved by God, and it's not dependent on genealogy. 
I love how, how verse 3 ends. It says that Melchizedek resembles the Son of God. Resembles the Son of God. The point is not that Jesus resembles Melchizedek, but Melchizedek resembles Jesus. Because Jesus is the King. Jesus is the High Priest. Let's keep reading verse 4. Speaking of Melchizedek, just think how great he was. Even the patriarch Abraham gave him a tenth of the plunder. Let's go down to verse 9. Of verse 6. This man, however, did not trace his descent from Levi. Right? He's not descended of Levi. Yet he collected a tenth from Abraham and blessed them who had the promises. Abraham, who was blessed by God, that through you, Abraham, the world will be blessed. Verse 7. And without doubt, the lesser is blessed by the greater. Verse 9. Let's go to verse 9. One might even say that Levi, who collects a tenth, right? Because when you look at the Torah, when you look at the, um, at the Levitical laws, is that, that, that the people had to pay a tithe to the temple, to the priest. Why? To, to keep the upkeep of the temple as well as provide for the needs of the priest. So they'll pay a tithe, a tenth of. And it carries on for the law. Uh, where am I? Verse 6, verse 9. One might even say the Levi who collects the tenth paid the tenth through Abraham. Because when Melchizedek met Abraham, Levi was still in the body of his ancestor. Right? Because, did you know that? I don't know if you know that. Abraham paid a tithe to Melchizedek before Levi. He wasn't even born yet. The priesthood after the order of Melchizedek, he says, is superior, not only to Abraham, but also to the Levitical priesthood that came from Abraham's lineage. Right? You think, what's that got to do with me? Well, let's keep reading. Let's go down to verse 18. Yes, the old requirements about the priesthood were set aside because it was weak and useless. Wow, that took a turn. <laughs> wow, you mean, all of a sudden, the, the, the system that's been set in place for hundreds and hundreds of years. Now the writer is saying that this system has been set aside because it's weak and useless. Verse 19, for the law never made anything perfect. The law doesn't make anything perfect. The law doesn't make you perfect. All right? Have you ever tried to follow laws? It doesn't make you perfect. It just makes you a lawbreaker. I know. Anyone else a lawbreaker in here? Okay, I'll just put my hand down then. Just, sorry, here. Sorry, here. But I love, I love verse 19. How verse 19 ends. But now we have confidence in a better hope. We have confidence in a better hope through which we draw near to God. Remember the temple? Remember the sin that contaminates us? That separates us from God? That you have to go through this ritual daily? Right? You have to do this ritual daily because like, the, as, soon as, as soon as you are out of the way of the presence of God, you're contaminated by sin again. So in order to get back in, you have to go through the process again. It had to happen daily. If you want to go, you have to draw near to God. But now the writer is saying, you know what? Guess what? We have confidence and a better hope. And this better hope means that you can draw near to God. We have confidence and a better hope. And hope has a name. And his name is Jesus. He is the better. He is the good enough. See, God is always wanting to be near to us. And because Jesus is better, 
You can. And the promises of God is for each one of us. And the promises is this, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. Because Jesus is the better. Because Jesus is my good enough. That means we no longer need the temple. That means we no longer need the Levitical priesthood. We have a better hope. Not based on on any work we do or any work we don't do. We can't earn God's love. We can't perform to God. No one is good enough. Jesus is our good enough. That's what the writer of Hebrews wants you to grasp. Because we need to remind ourselves daily that Jesus is my good enough. We need to remind ourselves, when, when you trip up, when you make a mistake, instead of running away from him, come near to God. We can come near to God because Jesus is our good enough. Because Jesus is the better, this confidence of a better hope. That Jesus, remind yourself daily, Jesus is my good enough. See, the sooner by faith that we recognize that he is our good enough, the sooner we mature. We don't live for affirmation. We we live from the affirmation of King Jesus. We live out of his affirmation. We don't live for the affirmation. We live out of the affirmation of King Jesus. Let's go go down to verse 21. But he became a priest with an oath when God said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. That Jesus is our great high priest. He stands between God and man with one nail-pierced hand. He grabs humanity with the other nail-pierced hand. He grabs the Father and he becomes the bridge. Verse 22. Because of this oath, Jesus has become the guarantor of a better covenant. Jesus is better. Jesus is our good enough. Verse 23. Now, there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office because they died. (laughs) So you can't continue anymore. Verse 24. But because Jesus lives forever, Jesus is eternal that Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus is God in the flesh, he has a permanent priesthood. It's permanent. Verse 25, therefore he is able to save completely those who come to God through him. He is able to save completely. It is complete because he always lives to intercede for them. Verse 26, I love what it says. Is Such A high priest truly meets our needs. Oh, oh my goodness. Isn't it so good that we have a high priest that meets all of our needs? So what kind of high priest is he? He is one who is holy. He is one who is blameless. He is one who is pure. He is one set apart from sinners. He is one exalted above the heavens. That's our high priest. That's our substitute. That is he who lives in us. Jesus is enough. Verse 27. Unlike the other high priest, he doesn't doesn't need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of people. 
He's not like them. The sacrifice, that's not quite perfect. He doesn't have to do this day after day after day. Offer sacrifice first for myself as a priest because, you know, I'm not perfect. Then I've got to make sacrifice for this person over here. But let me tell you something about this Jesus. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. That this high priest offers himself as the sacrifice. There is no other high priest that will offer himself as the sacrifice. There is no other high priest who is worthy, who is perfect and without sin. That Jesus himself becomes the sacrifice. He becomes our substitute. That in his blood is the life. That his blood is perfect. That his blood decontaminates, it washes away all of our sin. And it is permanent. That is why you can boldly go before the throne of grace. Anytime. Because your sins have been covered. It has been covered over by the blood of Jesus. Jesus has completed the work once and for all. That Jesus is enough. And this is where we get this language of Jesus' blood washes us. Decontaminates us. It covers over us. And it's permanent. We don't have to keep coming before and, oh no, I'm decontaminated as soon as I go out of his presence. That, that, that when, when the blood of Jesus covers you, you're never decontaminated. You're never contaminated again. You're de- decontaminated forever. In his presence is grace. In his presence is love. For Jesus is enough. Verse 28, for the law appoints as high priests men and all their weaknesses. But the oath which came after the law appointed the Son who has been made perfect in every way. This word perfect means to be made complete. That Jesus completed the work on the cross. It is done. It is finished forever. That Jesus is my good enough. So what does this all mean for us? What does this mean for us? It means that when you and I said yes to Jesus, He died for our past, present, and future sins, and it's permanent. See, I don't know about you, but when I try to bring up to God my past mistakes, He says, I don't even know what you're talking about. Because He knows your heart cry. He knows your pain. And His plans for you are good and not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. See, the good news about God's grace is that Jesus has done the work so that we can receive His work. That Jesus is my good enough. See, it means that we don't have to live a life for the applause of anyone else. That when you know God and you know that He knows you, you will find freedom because you realize that you no longer have to live a life to be known by anyone else. Because what really matters is what God thinks of you. See, I don't have to live to gain the approval from anyone anymore when we realize 
who Jesus is, when we we realize what he's done for us. This performance-based living, I need to put this behind me and I need to live for Jesus, the author and perfecter of my story. Because when I go in my strength, that's when I begin to make a mistake. I noticed, I noticed that this is me speaking now. I noticed the more that I stop looking at Jesus and start looking at my own performance, that's when I begin to make mistakes. That's when I find I'm, I'm distancing myself away from God. But when I re-engage, when I come near to God, when I come near to Jesus, He draws near to me. And when I keep Jesus in my focus, I notice that's when I find freedom. That's when I find breakthrough. Not in my own strength, but what He has done for me. That Jesus is my good enough. I don't have to live a life to gain approval from my peers. I don't have to live a life to gain approval from my parents. I don't have to live a life to gain approval from my spouse, my boss. You know what? It also means this. You do not need to live a life to gain approval from God because He already approves of you. He already, he already does. It's time to live a life free of all that because God knows you and He loves you. But He loves you too much for you to stay the same. So let His love transform you because at the end of the day, take a deep breath and listen to the applause from heaven because the applause of heaven is the only thing that matters. See, true living is a life surrendering to Jesus. It's a life saying, Jesus, Take my fears. Jesus, take my ambitions. Jesus, take all of me and live through me. Can you imagine how different our lives would be if we understood the depth of His forgiveness? If we truly understood that, maybe the reason why you're here this morning, maybe the reason why you stopped coming to church is because you just felt you weren't good enough. And you kept running away from because you didn't feel good enough. But when we begin to understand, as Hebrews says, we step into maturity, how deep His forgiveness is, instead of running away, we run to, we draw near to God. And He will draw near to you. Because it's the blood of Jesus that washes us, that decontaminates us, that sets us free, and it's permanent. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He is our good enough. Our King has finished the work. Jesus is my good enough. Come on, church, let us pray.